You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Monday night, and we are talking about the aftermath with the Bengals' Week 12 win over the Tennessee Titans. Hopefully you watched, listened to, and or enjoyed the post-game show that we did yesterday, but we're going to go a little bit further in depth as we often do, or that we are starting to do, I should say, now, and splitting up the episodes throughout the week and talking about a lot of different stuff, and... Very few things this season have been as satisfying as what we witnessed Sunday afternoon. And I am Anthony Cazenza, joined by John Sheeran. John, I assume you liked what you saw in a lot of respects. It wasn't the prettiest game, but you liked what you saw in a lot of respects from the Cincinnati Bengals and obviously the result that ensued on Sunday in Nashville. I mean, I would like to meet someone who predicted the game would be pretty in any sense of the word. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like, and you know, we're going to get to a lot of stuff, but just... Just, just to start things out, what Burroughs said after the game, he said great teams end up winning. Like, uh, like this is the game that great teams win. Yeah, and th- this is such a week to week league, especially this year, where a lot of things have changed and the landscape of the league looks a lot different. Scoring's down, a lot of different things that maybe we didn't expect, and it, it's tough when you're going week to week to try to predict how the randomness shakes out with, with these things. And part of that for this week was like, you know what? The Bengals have beaten the Titans the last two times they've played them. Both times they played them, the Titans were pretty good. I think the Titans were at least favored in, I think, both those games, one being in the playoffs. And my my thinking is that, you know what? They're going to find ways to do things that they didn't do those previous two times. And it's just not going to be the Bengals' week. And by God, the Bengals played a very similar game that they did back in the playoffs and there was just a critical difference that went in the Bengals' favor regarding the offensive line, and they just found a way to win because that is exactly what Joe Burrow said. That's what great teams do, and I think you just have to tip your cap to the Bengals for establishing themselves as one of the better teams by pulling out this win. I agree with you, and I mean, so there are a lot of things that were kind of like, you know, man, that's uh, not something that, because of the lack of a pretty win, quote-unquote, Um, sometimes those are the most satisfying, in my opinion, when you grind one out, you gut one out, you get past injuries and you, you do some things where you go, man, that was, that was really, really respectable. What I just witnessed. And I think a lot of that can be said about this game here. What I will say, you know, when you talk about the offensive line, we're going to definitely talk about that in just a, just a little bit in further depth, but you know, when I look at this on paper, I go, well, the Bengals didn't really get after the quarterback that much. They had one sack, a few pressures in this game. They did not force the three interceptions of Ryan Tannehill like they did in the division game. They forced no turnovers. They almost had the one on the big Derrick Henry play, but no turnovers forced in this game. And what was the big difference? There was an eight sack difference in this game, yeah. John Sheeran. Eight sacks. Think about how many times and how much yards, how many drives that would kill, eight sacks. And that makes you go, wow, I can't believe – you still are in shock about how the Bengals were able to overcome that in the divisional round, right, when you when you think about that. But in this game, you saw some clean pockets. And this is without a, a Jamar Chase, no Joe Mixon. I mean, you saw a lot of clean pockets. You saw Burrow kind of be able to buy a lot of time, do some things with his legs. Wasn't the prettiest in terms of – run game and what they were able to to achieve there but man I, that it, it just made the biggest difference in the world and it just was from that standpoint at least a much more watchable brand of football 
because of the offensive line. It just allowed them to survive the game as as it progressed. And it's not like they came out of the game hot, even when the offensive line was playing fine. Like they had one sack that they allowed up next to their own goal line. And it was a similar type of pressure that they surrendered back in the divisional round. It was very interior. There's a lot of stunts involved. And it's like, oh, man, is it going to be one of those days where the pocket just keeps collapsing? Because mm-hmm. even with Bengals' offensive line is good. Like they still have Jeffrey Simmons. They still have Mario Edwards. They still have guys who can pressure the pocket and bull rush you. But it didn't really happen again after that. He was only, I think Burrow was hit maybe four times. There was the one time where he slipped on a very questionable Tennessee field and he had intentional grounding. But other than that, he made plays with his legs and he was able to buy time and progress drives when he had th- that, that time to do so. But it wasn't like in early on in the game, like the Bengals offense was doing anything special. But when he needed those points, when he needed those long drives to take time off the clock to force Tennessee to play a little bit more aggressively on offense he was able to do that because that offensive line gave him time. It's another great performance from Jonah Williams at left tackle. L Collins, I yeah. think probably played through injury for at least half the game. He exited uh, for one play with like a leg injury. Hakeem Denji came in for just a play, but Alex Kappa, Ted Karras, we might talk about him and what he did a little bit later <laughs> on. Cordo Volson played fine too, but another great example of this offensive line really being the difference like that, like normally Obviously, you don't win very often when you get sacked nine times, and that was one of the biggest catalysts to forming this new offensive line from the inside out. Those two signings in Karras and Kappa, were, I'm sure there were memories of Pearl getting sacked nine times in Nissan Stadium back in January, and that was one of the biggest motivations to bringing in veteran quality players to fill those positions, and you saw the results here. Well... There was one thing that the Cincinnati, and I'll, I'll pull this up here in case folks didn't see it yesterday and or you need a memory refresher. We're talking about what the Bengals did on the offensive line and whatnot. But here's the box score, John Sheeran. And if you look here, there was one thing the Cincinnati Bengals had to make sure of in this game, and that was do not let Derrick Henry beat you. Do not d- let Derrick Henry have a productive day to then set up the play-action pass game downfield. You know, you've got some inexperience in the Bengals' secondary. We'll talk about them in a, in a minute as well because I was impressed with a lot of things there. But regardless, do not let Derrick Henry beat you. Do not let him have a productive day. Do not let Dontrell Hilliard have a productive day as a, as a backup guy um, on the ground because that would make life miserable for the Bengals and much easier for Ryan Tannehill. 2.2 yards per carry, John. I mean, I, I would never have... I know DJ Reader is very good. I know the Bengals' defense is pretty solid, and they've been doing a lot of nice things this year. I w- if you would have told me this week that they would have held Derrick Henry to under 40 yards rushing and under 2.5 yards per carry, I would have been floored by that. Uh, and yet the Bengals did it, setting themselves up very nicely. I mean, Tannehill made some nice, nice throws as well. His receivers made some nice plays for him too, but – Taking Henry out of the equation, at least on the ground, was an absolute key to this one, and the Bengals did it. What does it say about a defense when Patrick Mahomes and Derrick Henry can't figure it out? Like, yeah, I mean, I I know I know we we commend this defense very often, but like that's that's pretty insane how this this whole unit has transformed in such little time to be able to take out the juggernauts of NFL offenses pretty consistently. Mm-hmm. You go back to that divisional game, you got to remember, like, Larry Ogunjobi was out. They had, like, they brought in Zach Kerr off the streets to basically fill in. Mm-hmm. He played significant time there. They were, they still had DG Reader and, and other starters, but they had depth issues at defensive tackle, and that was a huge concern going up against the Titans' run game, and they snuffed him out in that game. And now they're back, a full stable of rotational guys at defensive tackle. JT Faley only played 11 snaps, and he's been playing really well this year. But DJ Reader back to his normal usage. BJ Hill probably had the best game of, of his season so far. Zach Carter filled really well with his 22 snaps. I think the results were about expectation because this, this is a really good defensive line that plays really well in those five-man fronts. And honestly, the Titans' offense line is not very good, and I think Derrick Henry struggled a lot because of that. They just couldn't get a lot of push up front. And the main strengths of Derrick Henry, I'm not calling him a fraud by any means because we saw what he did when he got space in the open field on that screen mm-hmm. pass. But when you don't give Derrick Henry those lanes, he just becomes a regular dude. He's just he's just a big dude. But because he's, he's like huge. Back. Yeah, exactly. because he's right. huge. You have to yeah. give him room, yeah. But once you have DJ Reader taking up two blocks, two yards into the backfield, like 
not even Barry Sanders can get out of that when the whole front seven collapses down on you like that. So when he doesn't have that full head of, head of steam, he, he more or less becomes mortal, and that's exactly what the Bengals made him. And Reader didn't show up too much in the stat sheet. One tackle credited, but two passes defended. And just one of those guys that played a lot better than the stats would indicate. I thought, uh, kind of continuing on the defense, John, again, this Bengals team allowed just six points in the second half. Um, obviously they were, you know, they kind of, everybody kind of lucked out with the missed field goal right before the half too. So, you know, that, that would have been a bad situation if, you know, they kick the field goal or get some points before half and then they come out, you, you know, that mindset just is a little different when you go into halftime with a, with a missed kick there, but regardless Bengals defense let up six points. We know that the wide receiver group for the Tennessee Titans was not the strongest, but uh, I mean, they still made some plays downfield, but I, I, I continue to be impressed with Cam Taylor Britt. Uh, he, he's he's definitely in there for tackling, and you know he, he's making some plays. That that Charlie Hustle play he made down the field, punching that ball out on that Henry play was pretty awesome. Even though it still ended up in a, as a Titans touchdown. Um, Eli Apple. I mean, I know there are games where he struggles, but he still puts up games like this one where he had two passes defended and, and, you know, I thought overall I had some decent coverage for the most part. And here again, the Bengals on defense, much like they're doing on offense, they just seem to, all right, well, we got to figure this one out. Um, the, the, there's some guys that are injured. We got to make, we got to make plays how we can. And then guys like Mike Hilton have three impactful tackles of his seven that he made um, that were, I, I don't know if they were, they weren't credited as tackles for loss, but they were definitely like run stuffs and or, you know, big impactful plays. So you've got him doing that on blitzes and whatnot. You've got Eli Apple having one of his stronger games again with the Bengals. And then you've got Cam Taylor Britt, who is filling in for Chidobe Wuzier, one of the quietly, one of the better corners in the league. And all of a sudden the rookie is playing pretty well and they just keep kind of building, man. It's, it's just impressive what they keep, uh, what they're able to do. And I don't know if I, or we, or anybody is really giving enough credit to the, the coaches or what what have you they're three and one without jamar chase john i mean that's with, with two of the wins coming on the road one of which a, a division leader in tennessee it was a phenomenal performance on defense and when you take out I, I mean this is mainly for our agenda but when you take out the 51 yard reception that uh Traylon burks the rookie out of arkansas got over taylor Britt, which was a great contested play by taylor Britt, but the wide receiver just ended up winning that one taylor Britt gave up 21 yards on the day aside from that Eli Apple gave up 14. Mike Hilton gave up 14. Like there was that's stellar. Lot, I mean, that's just not stellar. A lot doing from the the Titans passing game. Like Eli Apple had a handful of pass breakups, and you, you mentioned Mike Hilton against uh, DJ Reader. It reminded me of Star Wars, where it's like the, the rebels were taking out the ATATs by going after their legs. That's basically <laughs> yeah. what Mike Hilton did. You know, like of course, like it's it's the biggest size advantage of all time. The, you uh, have to go the, where he's, he's yeah, well, the harpoon, the harpoon cable, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I mean, he just and he and he said it himself. He tipped off like Ryan Tannehill, like I'm coming off the slot blitz, and the Titans still tried to do it, and he just came up unblocked. And again, there was nowhere for uh, Henry to burst up field, and he just he had to take on Mike Hilton diving out of his shins, and that's exactly what happened. So phenomenal right. physical performance from those corners. Yeah, and I I was watching the game with with my brother and. He had said, you know, if you're if you're Mike Hilton size and you're going to try and tackle Derrick Henry, that is precisely how you would want to tackle <laughs> Derrick Henry. Going going for the 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 lower extremities there to try and bring him down. Uh, I thought that was that was pretty interesting and funny uh, observation on on his part. Uh, Mr. Whisper here, uh, and this this will be good with kind of what we're showing here on the screen. If you are watching the video and you're looking at Samaje P. Ryan, 17 carries, 58 yards, a touchdown sub 3.4 yards per carry burrow nine carries i mean he he ran with the ball a lot nine carries 32 yards and then you had travion williams having two nice plays on in this one a 16 yard run and then another what was it a uh the 24 yard pass yeah 24 yard reception as well so a couple plays by him but here we go now we're talking about and thank you for the super chat there mr whisper as always we are gonna figure out something nice to do for you. You are super generous and that will still go to the Pollock family foundation. We'll be running that for a little while longer. Give sendgo.com slash Pollock family foundation. If you want to directly help or our YouTube super chats for just a smidge longer are going to be going. We're going to pull that money and send it off to the Pollock family foundation. So thank you for that. But he brings up the question of, do you think P Ryan is a more consistent threat behind this line than mixing? He finds the holes better 
and runs with more power than Mixon has this year. To me, John, and this is I, – I made this observation yesterday when watching the game. I think it's actually quite uh, – it's awesome that they were teammates, P. Ryan and Mixon in college, and are now the same in the pros. But this is what Oklahoma did when they used him. It was, you know, Mixon was the big play guy. Mixon was the guy that would come in, and P. Ryan was the workhorse to kind of do the north-south runs. We need we need positive yardage, that sort of thing. And Mixon has kind of developed into more of a um, a bit of a Le'Veon Bell. Let's try and be patient, find the hole first, and then go. Whereas P. Ryan seems to be just I, I'm I'm heading here. This is where I I think I'm supposed to go. This is what I'm seeing, and I'm it's like north-south, right? So I think I kind of said this maybe yesterday, the pendulum with Mixon in terms of big plays either way is a further swing, right? I mean, he gives you a bigger play capability as a runner, as a receiver, that sort of thing. And then you have him also on the ground, you know, same, same kind of deal. Whereas P Ryan is maybe a more dry, a little bit more friendly in terms of sustaining drives and getting positive yardage when it seems like things may, may or may not be in a funk. Um, I, I don't think this is time to say, Hey, you know, we, we, P Ryan needs to spell, you know, be the, be the primary guy, but I think you're seeing reasons why this coaching staff has kept P Ryan around. And it's not just, you know, you look at that 3.4 yards per carry. It's not just that it's, you know, ability to get in the end zone, sustaining drives, uh, doing a little bit in the pass game. And Oh, by the way, he's a good pass blocker. So I think that's why, you know, he's, he's shining a bit right now. Yeah. Just a guy who, makes the most out of whatever blocking he's given like that is the definition of what mr whisper has been asking like the more consistent threat behind whatever blocking that he gets i I think it's not i think it's interesting to compare pff blocking grades to just the run offense grades in this game the Bengals run blocking from their offensive line or just anyone who was run blocking was graded at 52.2 the run game was graded at 79.1 which is indicative of just a running back or whoever was carrying the ball was doing it really well while the run blocking was inconsistent at best. I didn't think it was a phenomenal game from any singular offensive lineman really generating movement against the Titans because, again, the Titans have the number one run defense in the NFL. Like, that was the expectation. It was not expected that the Bengals rushed over 100 yards in this game. Now, granted, Joe Burrow scrambles for 30-something yards. It definitely helped out that total. But P. Ryan, I think, played better than expected going up against this really stout Titans front, and he wasn't given a lot of great blocking, too. But... It's just very non-nonsense. He knows what reads to make. He knows what gaps to attack at all times. And he plays really light on his feet despite not having the greatest quickness that a running back has. So, yeah, he's mo- he's the most consistent because of those qualities that he has. And he showed it today, or on Sunday. I want to share one thing here. And thank you again, Mr. Whisper, for that. Uh, this is the, the drive summary. And I want to... Um, I, I want to show you the is it the play yeah the play-by-play this is what i want to show you here okay so uh, you know for a while here there's there's a lot of talk of special teams and i saw someone else here i'll have to look for it um someone was saying how about how about we give a little uh nod to the special teams um and it was more about the 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 whole you know the the field goal holding it there's mark graves here on facebook that's who said it you know it's impressive about the you know, Adamitis, Chrisman, and McPherson, how they gelled on field goal plays. Here's my thing, John. This was going to be a tight game. This was going to be a low-scoring game, as a lot of people predicted, and it was. And when you look at this drive summary to start the game, you look at five consecutive punts. And then, you know, as this kind of chess match back and forth, back and forth goes, finally, because of the field position game, you ne- you allow a field goal, you allow a field goal, that sort of thing. But this is where I think in this one, because Drew Chrisman has a had a uh, 51 plus yard punt average in this game, about 260 yards total in, on his five punts. And two of those five landed in the Titans 20 yard line. That's pretty impressive because a couple times he punted, he was pretty deep in his own territory, right? So my point is that you know, I, I, we all love Kevin, Kevin Huber and what he has done for this team. We all love his character and, you know, he's a local kid and played for the team for a really long time. This was a tough decision to make on a lot of different fronts. I actually was more hesitant about it personally than others because of the field goal holding aspect. But in this specific game against this specific opponent, Drew Chrisman, and I don't think a lot of people are talking about it. 
Drew Chrisman made a big difference, especially with that early jockeying of field position between these two teams. He made a big difference in this game. And I kind of want to just, you know, we do these weekly awards and I, I call it an unsung hero of the week type of thing. I guess that's that would be kind of my pick this week for that is Drew Chrisman because punters don't get a ton of love. And in a game like this, when you win by four points and you have this field position position jockeying going on early, he was a big part of that. And it, it's even accentuated more more so when you figure that for the first half, it was the Bengals mostly just beating themselves with a lot of penalties when yep. the Titans were punny, right? There was like, I think, three or four consecutive holds and Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and the first drive was negated by Chris Evans' very blatant offensive pass interference, oh, so that, that led yeah. to Chrisman, his first punt, pinning the Titans back, but it ended up in a situation where it was just back and forth punting, but the Bengals were consistently backed up into their own end zone, and unfortunately, the season, when, like, if Kevin Huber was punting this game, at least one of those punts, unfortunately, wouldn't have been as good, and it would have gave, given the Titans even better field position, that maybe they would have scored early, maybe changed the game a little bit, but I found myself saying that, yeah, maybe the, the Titans... Or maybe the Bengals should just allow a field goal here so they can get some normal field position instead of being backed up within their 10. But Chrisman did a great job of consistently f- flipping the field as much as he can. You got to remember, when you're punting in the end zone, you don't have a lot of time back there. You just got to basically just punt it as soon as possible. And he was still able to net out these 50, 55 yard punts consistently. It is interesting, though, Anthony, after we have, we now have two weeks of a sample size with Chrisman and his hang time for both uh, these two games he's played is exactly 4.03 seconds, which is not a lot. It's a little bit quicker than what Kevin mm-hmm. was doing, but that you, you can see that with your eyes, right? He just booms it down there and it gets to the, to the returner really quick, which is not always great. You know, special teams coordinators want some hang time. So it allows the gunners to get down there. Maybe that's something Absolutely. that he will continue to work on. But for this game specifically, all that he really needed to do was just get the ball on the other side of the 50 and then figure it out from there because the offense was doing him no favors early on. Well, he, in, the, in the shadow of his end zone, he kicked a 62-yarder, right? right? I mean, he absolutely bombed one. And, yeah, you're right. There is a little bit, like, more of a line drive aspect to his to his balls than, than Huber. And sometimes you want a little bit more of that high pop fly type of thing. But, um, you know, when you're that deep at your end zone, uh, sometimes you just want to kick the hell out of the ball and just get it as far as you can out of there, right? Um, so I think that was a little bit of what was happening there. But uh, I was just impressed with him, and I think that that was a facet of the game that – um, goes a bit overlooked as punting usually does. So, um, uh, you know, that I just kind of wanted to give a, a tip of the cap to him as we, as we break down this game here. And I guess, you know, before we get to maybe some of your picks for, Hey, who would have got an MVP or that sort of thing. And as we kind of move on to some different things and headlines and whatnot, um, I, I want to ask you, because a lot of the talk, at least with me and uh, Jimmy Morris of music city miracles, who joined a, the program on Friday and that sort of thing, we kind of talked about, well, you know, the resumes of these teams, and this was kind of the, a barometer game for both teams and all of that. How impressed are you with this win over the Titans in terms, not only of like the quality of the team that the Titans fielded, but um, you know, you look at who the Titans have beaten. Is there a little bit of an inflation of that record? Do you think, or was this just still, in your estimation, you know, a really high-quality win against a solid team on their turf? I mean, it's an, it's another high-quality win for them. I, I think the Bengals now lead the the league in strength of victory, and this is just maybe their biggest example of that. I, I do think that on paper the Bengals are better than the Titans because they're better at the more important positions, but you can't discredit the way that the Titans have managed to grind out this season because that's just their identity at this point. You have to expect the Titans to always be competitive every season with this core group and this coaching staff as you know, questionable as some things Mike Vrabel does. But the Bengals are a really good team, but they came into a hostile environment, a team that they've beaten in the past, a team that had a lot of motivation and reason to put their best foot forward, and they still beat them at their own game, and they're still able to assimilate their playing style to whatever is best fit for that exact environment. So you, you have to be impressed with the way that they come out and just get the job done each and every time. I uh, want to put up another super chat that we got here in just a minute. But before we do, do you have kind of some picks of, hey, this is kind of an MVP I have. This is kind of a behind the scenes hero. This is, uh, you know, some of the some of the people you think were really responsible. I mentioned Chrisman as mine for kind of the behind the scenes guy. But, uh, I, you know, I don't know what you're feeling for MVP and whatnot. You know, I think MVP for me is T. Higgins. 
just coming alive in the fourth quarter. He had a drop early on. Uh, allowed, it forced them to settle for a field goal in the, on their first scoring drive. Yeah. And entering the fourth quarter, he was at like maybe 20 yards receiving. He had a deep out in the third quarter. The fourth quarter, he came alive, and it was just Burrow knew that he had one-on-one on the outside. And at a certain point, it was just, I'm throwing up to this dude because he, like he's that guy. And <laughs> when you ever have... A vertical route between him and a five foot nine, five foot ten Roger McCreary, you're gonna take yeah. that ten times. You take it all the time. Yeah. Right. And that throw that his last completion, it was just a complete dart right in stride. He was he was draped over in coverage, right? And it just landed right in his chest. But that's T. Higgins making another another phenomenal contested catch. He took over in that fourth quarter and they needed it. So he he would be my MVP, my my under the radar kind of like unsung hero. I, because he had a really good game, but not a lot of people were, are talking about him just yet. Jermaine Pratt just put up quality game after quality game after quality game. And I know Logan Wilson gets most of the love at linebacker, rightfully so, because I think he's still the better dude there. But just both of those guys working in tandem to filling those gaps behind DG Reader, like that's a lethal combo. When you have a nose tackle that takes up multiple blocks and you have linebackers who knife their way through these gaps, like Pratt was on fire against the Titans. I think mm-hmm. he only had a couple of stops there, but like every time he was in position and it just made the defense work. Well, it makes it work and, and it makes it work even more effectively when you have a guy like DJ Reader eating up space, eating up blockers to be able to free those guys up to to come in there and make plays. So, yeah, I mean, I you know, there are a lot of you could say Burrow, you could say a couple of other guys on defense. I, I don't want to, you know, sound broken record, but I go with T Higgins and I go with T Higgins for a couple of reasons. Number one, that Chris Evans penalty negated another huge play from him that would have netted probably another, what, 25 yard reception or something at that point. That was a big play that got wiped out there. And on top of that, John, again, we're talking no Jamar chase and we're talking limited impact from any other wide receiver, which is shocking to me because I thought this was going to be a big Tyler Boyd game personally. He was kind of a ghost. Yeah. I mean, he was a ghost this week. You had the Trent's, combined for two catches in this game. Uh, Hayden Hurst had a nice, you know, a, a nice afternoon, but um, really it was T Higgins in the passing game that was largely carrying this team. A couple nice ones from P Ryan there through the air too. But I mean, he was kind of the guy and it just seemed like it was like, I'm going to get the guy with the big catch radius, the strong hands and the big size. I'm going to utilize that mismatch every, every opportunity I can. And he continues to turn a lot, even that one that got called back because of the Evans penalty, short intermediate routes, and he turns him into long gains because he he's able to to break away. He gets free in the middle of the field, and he kind of turns up field, and there's a lot of yak opportunities there. So, uh, you know, there are a lot of different routes I could go. I guess I will go with Higgins because of that, and just really not a ton of pass catching help, particularly at the wide receiver position behind him with Chase coming back. So that's uh, that's where I would go with that. Bruce Bruce Gaines. I wonder if that's uh, related to Bruce Wayne in some some way. There uh, a bit irrelevant that we won, but anyone noticed the lack of replays every time there was a questionable call by the refs? I I personally did not. Um, I don't know if you happen to know that either, or if you noticed that either, John. But I I personally did not. Not that I was. Not that I don't think he's not right. I just I didn't think think about that. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you have some thoughts on that. Uh, I don't think so. Maybe, maybe just because like most of the flags came on special teams and you don't always see uh, replays on that regardless because it just goes to commercial break. I'm trying to think there was, I think there was a holding on Lel Collins that wasn't shown. And right after that play, Tyler Boyd slipped on the, the Titans grass there and it forced like a field goal or, or a punt. So I would have liked to see, like to have seen that hold on Lel because it seemed like he slipped on that play. And he was just kind of grasping at anything, which unfortunately that's going to get called regardless. But I don't know. It was a third and one that P Ryan converted and it ended up being like a 10 yard penalty. So yeah, I would have liked to see that one again. Yeah. Who knows? CBS may have been scrambling just in general because of, uh, um, you know, the, the, the delay over there in, in, in Jacksonville. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, who knows their network maybe has just been scrambling and trying to, you know, uh, spit a bunch of different plates. You know what I mean? Um, so, but good, thank you for that. That's all. That also will go to the Pollock family foundation. Bruce, appreciate that as well. Um, let's get to uh, another, just kind of talking point. We'll get to some headlines and get out of here before we do want to remind folks that this is the orange and black insider part of the Cincy jungle podcast channel. You can get, if you like the audio side, you can get it on your favorite audio streamer. 
whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all of them. We are on that. You got to subscribe to the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel, leave a review, hopefully a positive one if you could. And if you like the video side of things, you got to give a thumbs up and like the Cincy Jungle Facebook page and or way below John on the uh, uh, underneath the SB Nation Cincy Jungle logo down there. You got to click the subscribe button or our show logo down there to subscribe and the bell to be notified when we go live, when new content is available on the YouTube channel. We're trying to hammer you with all kinds of stuff, at least on our show every day of the week or close to it between our show and the Cincy Jungle podcast channel. So uh, hopefully we are getting you your Bengals fix. Appreciate all the support. John, a talking point. I kind of talked about it a little bit on the show last night, but uh, it's kind of becoming more and more of a prevalent talking point. You know, shortly before I we took the air here, I was listening to Kay Adams talking about the Bengals and their, uh, you know, their changing stripes and um, all of that. She was very entertaining with her assessment there. And then, of course, Dan Orlovsky made some comments today. But this is the thing that just impresses me about this Bengals team. And I, you know, I talked about it a little bit last night and I've been thinking about it today. And then obviously some others have been, getting the wheels turning on that as well. When you win a game like this and you win a game like this against an opponent like the Titans who are seemingly well-coached, a strong opponent, I mean, they're not going to probably put up 40 on you, but they are a tough, tough out, a tough win. It kind of makes you think about some things about this Bengals team. I mentioned it earlier. They are three and one without Jamar Chase. We all kind of, thought or hope that chase was going to play this week or you know maybe on a limited basis what have you they felt confident enough and or they just wanted to be extra cautious so there's not an, an issue with chase that they didn't go that route um no mixing and then they could they grind this win out and kind of out tightens the titans right uh, <laughs> in some ways and then you look at you know the the week prior wow they're letting up a little more points and yards against the Steelers than anticipated and it's a tough defense so we got to just try and put up all kinds of points on this team they did that um and then you know you look at the the other week they absolutely blew the doors off the Panthers there causing a a quarterback change in that game I guess what I'm saying is there what's impressive to me about this Bengals team right now is it's hard for another team to game plan for them because the way they are winning it varies from week to week. It's not the same formula. You kind of feel like with the Chiefs, it's like, okay, well, that's going to be, you know, you got to you got to boat race that one, right? That's probably going to be something we'll be talking about this week with the Chiefs coming on deck. Same thing with the Bills a little bit. You got to kind of figure, you got to put up a lot of points in that one. You know, there's going to be a slugfest against the Titans. Well, the, the point is, is the Bengals are this amoeba where you it, it, they keep kind of changing about how they win and who they are and all of that. And I think we actually saw that early this season in the struggles, but we didn't really recognize it. They were trying to find different ways to do things. And now they have adjusted properly and they have been able to embrace this, this kind of evolution that they are going through. And now you're seeing a team that wins in all kinds of different ways, utilizes all kinds of different players and, to me, I just look at this and I go, you know, if, if you're sitting on the other side of the table watching film, you kind of know the players on the Bengals to watch out for and all of that. But you're like, well, they, man, they kind of just, you know, grinded one out this past week. They were th- throwing for a lot of yards and a lot of points the week prior against the Steelers. I, how do you, how do you properly game plan against this team? And oh, by the way, they're getting chased back. We'll talk about that. It uh, looks like this week. And others, Tupo maybe, and others coming back shortly too, just kind of restocking the cabinet. It, it's to me, if I was a defensive coordinator, just any team trying to plan for the Bengals, you would you'd first have to take away what can beat you the quickest, what's like their most dangerous thing. And when they're fully healthy, it's obviously their passing game, right? And you go back to what Burroughs said in the offseason, you know, if you play too high, if you try to take away our vertical passing game, you know, we have Joe Mixon to just run the ball down in your throat. And that was great in theory, but they couldn't do that early on. And it's, it's a great, it's a great irony to me because of their not lack of identity, but their multiple identities, their multiple ways of being you when they didn't have an identity, a working identity to begin the season because they couldn't rely on their offensive line. It was still a work in progress. It was still Joe Burrow coming back 
from an appendectomy, and we didn't know what this team was, but in a bad sense, not in a good sense. Not like you couldn't label them because they do everything so well. It's because they could do nothing well because they were so predictable, right? And even if their defense was still solid, they couldn't rely on it to completely shut teams out because they couldn't do anything offensively. But we saw this in shades last year, right? We saw them win you know, grind grind out games against the Raiders and the Broncos, but then have shootouts against the Ravens and the Chiefs. They've won in multiple facets, even with a bad offensive line, because their passing game was so explosive. Well, now you get Jamar Chase back. You you have that explosiveness still in your back pocket. You have a better offensive line that you're able to just basically do whatever you want now, and you don't have to be worried about being limited in a certain thing, but you still have the ability to basically play whatever game that you want and the games kind of dictate themselves as they go along. And that's another thing that Burrow has said. He said multiple times regarding like what he feels like a game is going to be. And he senses that like after like the first couple of drives, you kind of sense you don't go into a game expecting to only throw for 200 yards or maybe throw for 500 yards. You don't go into the game expecting whatever level of production that you end up getting. It's sort of a feel thing once you end up going out to the field and, and getting the sense of what the defense is trying to do and their ability to adapt on the fly. It's basically what's turned them into a second half team where maybe they start slow and maybe that's not always sustainable in case they run into a team that's just on fire at a certain point, but you always have the confidence that they're able to figure things out and put a plan together in the middle of a game because they have this roster that's so balanced and there's no real strong weaknesses that they're able to do whatever they need to do in that specific game. I just continue and you know, the old mantra of, of next man up and all of that. I just, it, it, this team really just seems to embrace it. And when you think about what well, last season was very impressive. And I think it, a, a large part of that was because the expectations were not Super Bowl. It was, Hey, this could be a competitive team. Maybe they sneak their way into the postseason and, and have a nice foundational building block. Well, they overachieved kind of were world beaters, especially at the end there, almost pulled out the Super Bowl win. Um, and then here we are the next year and the expectations are a lot higher. But I almost find, at least at this point, I almost find their path right now more impressive than last year because we're talking about no DJ Reader for what, a month and a half, a month, something like that. No Jamar Chase for four games at this point. No Joe Mixon uh, for the you know the last game and a half, essentially. And, you know, your, your star corner has been out for the last month and will be for the rest of the year. I mean, it, you look at the guys they have missed and what they've been able to overcome. It's just like, well, that, oh, man, that one's that one's tough. Well, let's just keep going. And they keep winning games. They are now what, John, seven and two out of, the, of their last nine. Right. After starting going to that's very impressive, when, especially when you look at the players who have been and even T Higgins, he missed what a game and a half in there as well. So. There are a lot of players that have been and players that they rely upon that have missed time. And when you look at Bengals teams of the past, Marvin Lewis era teams, et cetera, even those great teams, when they lost a star player, the team crumbled. They were not able to, they, so many times they were unable to overcome missing some of those players. And this team is the exact opposite. And I, I think it's a testament to how they built the team. I think it's a testament to the coaching and I think it's a testament to their quarterback and, you know, all of that. I mean, I just think they've, they've got things pretty dialed in. And I guess that's easy to say after a big win like this, and we may be singing, singing a different tune in the next couple of weeks, but I, you know, Emperor Starscream right here, he kind of stole a line that's coming out on my good, bad, good, bad and ugly article um, calling them chameleons. Yeah. I mean the queen city chameleons, you can call them the Cincinnati Bengals, but they're the queen city chameleons. You know what I mean? It's like, they just keep changing and evolving and doing what they need to do each week to get wins. And it's like they've been almost trial and error with like what works and what doesn't on both sides of the ball. Yeah, like yeah. because because like when you when you think of when this this first team and coaching staff kind of came together, they were very wide zone oriented and they were trying to put together a decent offensive line. So they they majored in that, they hammered that into the scheme and coaching. And then once they went went away from it, like they went to a more you know simplistic type scheme, but they can go back to it any time. And now they have this, the personnel to better to better implement that scheme. And now they're well-versed with it. And same thing on defense, right? They didn't have the personnel to do everything that they wanted with Lou and Aruma when he first got here. But now they do. And they've done so many things on defense that there's never a moment where they're unprepared about what to do. And their communication and chemistry is top point when all those guys continue to play together. So they've just been... <clears throat> this team has taken on so many different identities, like we've said 
the countless times in the past 10 minutes that there's never a moment where like, okay, we need to impl implement something new. We need to change things up immediately. And I th feel like that's, that's how they've been able to make these quote unquote second half adjustments or come out of the gate better with the team doing something different than they expected. Or maybe they're getting, they're, they're getting blown off the doors a little bit in, in the beginning of the game and they're able to bounce back because they're just built for that. They're, they're prepared for that. And it's really shown. Well, and that's a, a really good point in, in one respect where there's not panic. There's not a lot of panic in this team. And especially from the guys in leadership positions, the quarterback, the coaches and whatnot. And I don't want to say there was or wasn't with Marvin and his group at times, but you just, that energy when your leaders are not panicked, when things don't go the best, that feeds throughout the entire team. I mean, that, that that's the kind of energy that people feed off of. And so um, I don't know. I, I just, I, I continue to be impressed with, it's not always the prettiest like this week wasn't the prettiest type of win, but in a way there's, there's beauty in the, in the not so prettiness of, of the win. You know what I mean? It's uh it's pretty impressive. So um, I, I just continue to be impressed with a lot of things going on with this team right now. And uh, you know, we're a long way from that own two start for sure from the Bengals. Let's get to a couple of headlines. Cause we did a bunch yesterday. Let's get to a few more in terms of the Cincinnati Bengals coming out of this win. And then we will hop out of here, John. Uh, there was some positive news and these, I will pin these in the live chats for folks, positive news on the Jamar chase front. As we have said, uh, Jason Markham wrote this one up on Cincy jungle, but essentially uh, it's looking more and more. And I think there was an additional report that it's looking like Jamar Chase is going to play against the Chiefs here. Um, number one, if you want to break this down right here, you can see here Jamar Chase is expected back this this week. Break this one down for us. And what what should our expectations be for him this week coming back from this injury? You know, it's a it's a tough one. So we said last week if he were to play against the Titans, if he's out there, like I don't think there's a lot of things that they could have done to limit him. And I think logic kind of remains here. If he's out there against the Chiefs, then he would have now rested enough time for them to be comfortable to just have him just be a starter and do whatever he needs to do. Like, he can't put a brace on his hip like DJ Reader can put on his knee. Like, if, he, <laughs> yeah. if he's out there, yeah. he's out there, right? So right. They, they took the most precaution here. They didn't put him out there before. They felt like he was absolutely ready. He Even though he practiced last week, he was never a full participant. He didn't do any... He didn't have a full week practice, if you will. He was just out there to get his feet wet for the first time. They saw how he was. They realized that, hey, if he absolutely needs to play, maybe he would have, but he didn't need to play. They still won without him. They still had you know enough success on offense without him. Now they're going to be the best offense in the NFL. He's been out for four weeks now. He's been practicing for a week. He's been off crutches for how, however many days or weeks. Like This is the time for him to start ramping things up. And if he has at least one or two full practices this week, I'd expect him to be limited at all. And Zach Taylor, you know, compiling on top of that saying, um, making no promises, but Jamar Chase is encouraging. That's from uh, Mike Petralia. does a great job covering the team as well. So, yeah, I mean, it's looking more and more like Jamar Chase finally will be suiting up for the Bengals here. And then as they get set for this big stretch run, they've got, you know, they started doing pretty well against the gauntlet. I mean, going into Pittsburgh is not an easy game. They took care of that. Going into Tennessee, definitely not an easy task. They took care of that. Now you've got the Chiefs coming back home. You've got the Browns, who have been a thorn in their side ever since Zach Taylor got here. You know, you've got the Bills on on deck as well coming up. You've got another one against the Ravens. So, you know, th there's, a, there's a daunting stretch. So far, the Bengals have done pretty well against it right now. And getting Jamar Chase back, potentially even – Josh Tupo back for the late run will be key as well. We'll we'll have an injury report later this week as well. We talked a little bit about this. I don't know if you want to expand too much more on it, John. I know you do the weekly lineman article here, but I mean, as we kind of said, you know, you mentioned Joe Burrow after the game said something to the effect of great teams win a game like this. Well, he's also dishing out a lot of praise for his offensive line and their performance. Obviously the eight sack swing between the uh, last two games between these two teams is, is part of it. But you can see here uh, from Paul Daner Jr. of the Athletic, great, great coverage man for the Bengals for many years. Joe Burrow on his offensive line, quote, I mean, they're playing as good as anybody in the league. Our run game has really taken off. Our protection was awesome today. I had so much time to try and find guys to try and take off and make plays with my legs. I noticed stronger pockets 
for him definitely this week as, as compared to even maybe even, you know, earlier weeks this year and definitely last year. So, I mean, it's not just player speak or, you know, blowing smoke for his offensive line. I, I do think this is truly heartfelt and it is accurate. I will say it again, man. Like that divisional game was such a tipping point for, I think the front office realizing that this cannot, we cannot have burrow behind this quality of offensive line again. And they right. brought in Kappa and Karras for that exact reason. And Kappa, like the standard now is just one or two pressures allowed per game up against really high quality defensive tackles in Jeffrey Simmons and company. Karras, I think he was charged for that that sack next to the goal line. Mm-hmm. But again, if that's his one bad play of the day, like you absolutely take that. The I think the offensive line in total was charged for nine pressures at most. And again, only had allowing like four or three hits on the quarterback, Jonah Williams, another really good game. Lowell Collins probably played for, through injury for most of this game and played solid. Cordo Volson, I think, got beaten by Simmons a couple times, but it's Jeffrey freaking Simmons, and you will take that uh, maybe once or twice against a rookie. So, again, another phenomenal performance in the offensive line for sure. Yeah, that sack was, uh, if, I, if I read it and watched it correctly when I saw it, it was Kappa, and then he kind of passed off the defender, I think it was Walker, passed off to the, the defender to Karras and Karras got walked back a little bit. Still not a complete, you know, throttling of Karras. He just kind of, you know, didn't, didn't have his balance well in that one. And that resulted in a sack, but otherwise pretty clean game from the offensive line for sure. And Joe Burrow wanted people to know about it. Uh, and that was from Paul Daner Jr. And we have a write up on that on Cincy Jungle. And then finally, John, um, this is one, I, I, you wrote this one, you do it every week. Um, themes and or things you think were interesting from the snap counts from the Cincinnati Bengals this week as uh, they, uh, you know, as they beat the Titans here and you see Travion Williams last couple weeks, the guy hasn't been playing at all because of, you know, just being on the practice squad and, you know, the, the Bengals ha- are seemingly set at running back and he's, he's just, you know, a couple of times he's been called, he's been making big plays. Well, it's, Three touches for, I think, 42 total yards in this yeah. game. And one yeah. of them was just a two-yard run. So he had two explosive plays from Trevion Williams, of all people, which I think says something about the running back depth chart. The fact that Chris Evans has 16 offensive snaps, three of them are in the field, and neither, none of those snaps were run plays. So like Trevion Williams is the third running back on this team right now, and he was the second one in this game just because Joe Mixon was out. But he had that one toss play. It's been a terrible play call for the Bengals for this entire season, but he ended up churning out 16 hard yards for him. So that was definitely my biggest takeaway, the fact that he came in for 20% of the snaps at running back. I think another thing was the fact that because the Titans didn't really have a ton of game control in this game, there wasn't a ton of need for rotation at defensive line, which is why you had DJ Reader and BJ Hill playing a ton of snaps in this game, both north of 70%. Zach Carter with his normal, or it should be his normal range of 20, 25 snaps. J2 Faley only had 11. Joseph I was only out there for eight because, you know, they didn't really need to rush the passer that much because they were playing Derrick Henry, so Cam Sample got a lot more runs. So not a ton of rotation and subs in this game. The starters played 60, 70%, except for Travion Williams, who came in somewhat surprisingly. And this kind of plays into, again, finding the different ways to win for the for the Bengals, you know, this is their essentially their number four running back coming in there, making nice plays in the passing game, nice plays as a runner. And you got to respect him for coming on the bench and utilizing the, the snaps he gets there. So uh, great, great stuff. Any, any, uh, anything else you want to touch on or uh, headlines you want to touch on before we start to get out of here, John, I know we've got another show coming up Thursday. We're going to be talking once again, we're scheduling that, that that talk believes Joe Valerio to preview the Chiefs game, and we'll be talking about doing our own preview of the game as well on Thursday. But uh, anything else that I have glossed over, my friend, that we should be talking about? Where where would you put uh, Ted Karras' soundbite on the all time <laughs> like greatest in history? Like is is it is it up there with Sam Weiss? Is it up there with like anything else that is? I, I don't know if it's Weiss. I don't know if it's that that up there. But uh, I mean, it's it's a it's a doozy. Um, I you know I <laughs> I thought about playing it. Uh, there's there's just a lot of not safe for work language there. But I I will again go to Mark Slaughter's Twitter account. You can find it. Uh, it's pretty epic, dude. It's pretty epic. And uh, I think he, there were a lot of Bengals fans in that stadium too, by the way. Um, and yeah. so I, I think he was playing playing to that. But man, uh, you 
you can see, I, I can understand why Tennessee Titans fans would not be a fan of it, but you can see why he is a guy in the locker room that this Bengals team respects and really likes. And he's brought, he's brought a different tenacity and different attitude on this offensive line for sure. Well, you know, like I know why he did it because the Titans at the end of the, of the game, they, they were diving at his knees at, for the victory formation because they're sore losers or whatever. Oh, okay. But yeah. but he, even if he didn't have a reason, I feel like fans resonated with two reasons. One, because it was epic. But two, like there is just this crazy fan rivalry between the Bengals and Titans. It's gotten really intense over Twitter. It started really with the playoff game. It's, it's translated to now 11 months later. And I feel like a lot of fans just really just gravitated towards it because like, yeah, F, F, F you Tennessee. Like you're talking all this stuff about how the Bengals aren't physical and everything, but you're not as physical as the Bengals. Screw you. We came into your house twice and beat you enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, it was, it was quite the entertaining, um, definitely quite the entertaining soundbite. And I, <laughs> he just, uh, he, he keeps doing things that are, you know, endearing himself one way or the other to the fan base, but uh, I, I liked it. Bengals have a big one coming up here, and um, they are, uh, man, I, I don't know. I don't know how you're feeling just as we sit here right now, John, before we get out of here, but uh, Bengals host the Chiefs. How are you feeling about this one, confidence level wise? I guess we'll, I guess we'll find out Thursday, huh? We will. We will find out there. So look at that <laughs> teaser. I love it. Thanks everybody for tuning in. And uh, if you can leave us a review on one of those audio platforms and subscribe to the Cincy Jungle podcast channel and our YouTube channel. If you are so inclined, appreciate all of the support. Bengals get a big win 20 to 16 against the Tennessee Titans. Gotta love that. And they improved to seven and four. John, we will see you later this week and we'll have a lot to talk about with this Chiefs game coming up for sure. Talk to you guys later.